Oh, one second. Someone's here. My dog's barking. Hold on one second. This is the bullshit Will has to edit out where I start singing to everybody because I'm bored. And he left the room who interrupts important meetings by playing with his duck. <laughs> Am I going to get a room recording? <laughs> Welcome to the Adventure Therapy Collective Podcast. Our offices are mountains, rivers, and the woods. Climbing, hiking, and paddling are just what the doctor ordered. What's going on, Will? We've been doing this podcast, and we've been working together. We're partners, and I keep hearing you talking and posting about this guy, Adam, that you're starting something with. Are you kicking me off of the podcast? Is Adam coming on? What what the hell's going on here, dude? Atom. A-T-O-M. And no, but... uh, it's going to be a cool project, I think. The Atom. And you have all named... Oh, so this isn't a dude? No. Not a science dude. It's just, it's a thing. No, but like all good science, what's the best way to, to know if you have an idea and it's a good idea? You have a badass acronym. And you, my friend, came up with the badass acronym. <laughs> <laughs> and I have really bad ADHD, so I must have forgot. Yeah. No, the great thing is, I mean, you came up with... ATC, which is obviously a climbing tool. And Aaliyah's partner, Davey, made us a wicked logo that looks like a pig nose, looks like a, the ATC. Yep. And then you also came up with the Adventure Therapy Outcome Monitoring Study, the Atom. Well, I, I got my PhD from a Research One university, and that's <laughs> what they teach you when you go to an R1 is how to make an acronym because your research it. isn't getting off the ground. Like if your ac- acronym is not easily recognizable or pronounceable, then I mean, people don't want it. Do you know, it's funny. One of the, one of the last hurdles of my PhD, the researcher always came back. They said, yes, this is passed. You need a new title for the study. And so I wrote back, <laughs> I said, okay, fine. How about this? And they go, no, an- another new title. <laughs> You're your t- your title of your study stinks. And until then, then we can call you doctor. <laughs> <laughs> you would have finished your dissertation, your whole doctoral degree a year earlier if you're better at acronyms. So this is actually really exciting. It's something actually you and I have been talking about for better part of like three years almost. Yeah, I'm thrilled to see this getting off the ground. I think this is going to be uh, a, a, a huge contribution to the field of adventure therapy. Obviously, we're biased because we're researchers and we're doing this work. So, of course, what we're resor- researching, we think is going to be incredible. But I'm really excited to see this moving forward. I guess to provide some history about this, I've had a uh, ethics application on the go for about a year and a half. Now, if you're a committee, committees work very slowly. Um, it's actually really fun if you're on a committee. Google quotes about committees and they're really funny. They're hilarious. Like a committee is a good way to to do nothing about a good idea. But anyway, so we finally got this through. And so what's really exciting is what we're going to do is really help adventure therapy practitioners to bring in feedback-informed treatment into their practice and then collect data about your client's experiences 
And then we're going to do some cool studies that we haven't done um, in adventure therapy before with a certain level of robustness. And we already have some people involved before we've made this really kind of formal announcement. We have a few agencies in Australia. We have a lot of interest from Scandinavia and some friends in North America as well. And really what we want to do is make an announcement that we're really interested in anybody and everybody who's doing something that somehow resembles adventure therapy. We're not going to put boundaries on what is or is not adventure therapy per se. And we just want people who are working professionally or even students in the field to be brave for a second and come and, and, and help us collect data about what people with their boots on the ground who are sitting in canoes with clients or taking people to climbing gyms in the name of mental health treatment, however you want to define that, or working in groups or going on expeditions or community-based workers. We just want to really get around the idea of us all being evidence builders. And once we've built some evidence, then we're going to really do our best to figure out how can we get better at what it is we're doing? But we need evidence of how good we are right now to do that. And when you told me about this, about including everyone, I was excited because when we're talking to Nevin in Canada with the child and youth workers who are doing adventure therapy, and we're talking to you and the other Australians with the wide array of folks, including police officers yeah. and guides and a number of other people doing adventure therapy, that, that it's when we look at it in an international sense, it's a wide spectrum of people that goes from associate and bachelor's and trade level people up to doctoral level scholars that are all using mm. techniques from adventure therapy and can all improve their outcomes by using a form of outcome monitoring. Yeah. I mean, we've interviewed two people on this podcast, Doug Bozinski and Mark Kartner. Those are two people who are embracing outcome monitoring and both of them um, I've just crunched their numbers as a, as a friend for them. Both of them are achieving outcomes above the average outcomes for tightly controlled clinical trials. So Dreadlock Doug doing amazing work. Surf indigenous, you know, indigenous surf cop Mark doing incredible work. One of the things that outcome monitoring does that, and outcome monitoring sounds boring, but it's it's also a clinical tool. We're not evaluating people and saying, you're not effective at your work. That's not the goal here. One of the things that outcome monitoring does and feedback-informed treatment specifically is we're operationalizing the very definition of evidence-based practice. So evidence-based practice, as I've talked about previously, is not choosing the right treatment. It's using the best available evidence based on client preferences, culture, and your own clinical expertise. So we're looking at the, the impact your client's experience based on your clinical expertise, and we're going to build a shitload of data about it. We're going to look this at- This was a thing that we wrote a paper about, and we're trying to, along with Nevin, uh, we're trying to practice what we preach. We wrote a paper calling for the field to do this, and saying that feedback-informed treatment is recommended. This is something that can make your adventure therapy into an evidence-based practice. Yep. And that if we can get this project off the ground, we can start to help folks build evidence-based practice into their adventure therapy work. And we can really try to help move this forward in the field. Yeah. For Dan and I, it is really exciting. 
at the same time, when things are exciting and they're and they're fresh and they're really interesting, it's tempting to implement this really fast, to call every adventure therapy provider and say, do this now with everybody. But we also are asking people who have a shit ton of experience, who do incredible work already to do something slightly different. And that's hard. When we're really good at something, it's really hard to make a little change. And we're only really asking you to change five minutes of a, of a one-hour session, not a lot. But we're also asking you to give us data and all this sort of stuff. So we're going to take this really slow. And so if you're interested in this, what I would say is flick us an email and say, hey, I'm interested. Also, I've put together a load of free training stuff on how to do this, what it looks like, videos of me doing it, which is, you know, don't flick me an email, figuring out how uh, incompetent I am. But so totally, we'd love you to join. And so you might think, do I do the right type of adventure therapy? I don't have a master's degree or I'm a student. Who cares? Join and help us build evidence, uh, help us build evidence about adventure therapy from all different angles. And what I thought was really cool when you started talking about this project was that this is a way for folks also to get some training on how to do uh, outcome monitoring and feedback informed treatment, because that's something that usually like, it, it takes a lot of training to learn how to do it correctly. And that's something that you've built a lot of expertise in that you're going to share with study participants so they can learn how to use this as a tool in their therapy moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not going to cost them anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, part of taking part in the study, we're going to do groups where if you want to join an online Zoom room and, and have a chat about what you're doing, your experience in implementing this stuff, or if you want to have a phone call with one of us about, hey, I I got this score on a measure and I don't know what it means. We're, we're using really deceptively simple tools, but they've been used widely enough that there's a lot of clues about the data. And I know many of us are skeptical about statistics and numbers, and rightly so. One of the really cool things about these measures is they say virtually nothing. So really, what the measure means is what you and your client make it mean, which makes this, these measures really experiential in practice. It's about the experience of doing this with your client, figuring out what it means. Why did they report what they reported? And that's really a neat thing. Here's the other thing. And I posted this quote on Facebook yesterday from, from Scott Miller's blog. Consistent with findings from the field of implementation science, boring, documenting that productive use of new clinical practices takes three to five years a new study conducted in Scandinavia found the impact of feedback-informed treatment grew over time. By year four, patients were 2.5 years more likely to improve when their therapist used feedback-informed treatment. That is an incredible finding. That's why we have to take it slowly. But we have time. All of us, we're going to do all of this together. I'm going to take part. Daniel's going to take part. We've got so many people interested. And so what can happen if we do this well together as a field is we can all actually get better at whatever it is we say that we do, which is really the point here, is helping us all improve our client experiences with us. 
So you're saying if folks want to get started in this, that they can flick one of us an email and we can get it going. But like, tell me more. Tell me what it, it's actually going to look like for folks to get started, because there is a process that people have to go through. And I think you've got a pretty good idea of what that is. I think folks would love to hear what some of that is. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So if you flick us an email, I'll send you all the information about the study consent forms for adult or child clients, information sheets. Some of you that have done webinars with me know I really love the portal called Padlet, which is a website where you can just store files and it's interactive. And so I've made a a Padlet site. And so what you can do is go to that Padlet site. There's a link to download your measures. That is free. So it's free to download your license to use these empirically supported reliable and valid measures that we're going to use to collect data. That said, that's just for you, the practitioners. You can't download one and give it to everybody in your agency. It's just for you. So everyone in your agency has to download one, basically. And then I've provided a bunch of videos. And so I'm going to continue to make 10 to 15 minute short videos for you that you can watch if you're interested in learning more about implementing feedback informed treatment in your practice, considerations for doing this outside. And slowly, those short videos are going to get more and more into the weeds of of what this looks like. And we're going to get more comprehensive about what we're doing, what the data means, stuff like that. But so every session, you're going to use this really quick measure. You can, I can probably do this in less than a minute after the first session with the client and you'll get better and better at that as we do it more and more. And then after your session, you're just going to put the scores in a, in a spreadsheet and continue to collect. And you're going to write some things about quickly, like where, what type of setting did the session take place? Were you on a beach, in a canoe, blah, 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 just little details about that. As little or as much information as you want to give us. And then um, that's really it. It's just uh, an alliance measure and an outcome measure and then brief information. So it's not a lot. We are asking you to do a little bit more, which is kind of a pain in the ass, but it's not a lot. And then every few months or so, we'll just ask you to send us that spreadsheet and you keep doing what you're doing, keep gathering data, and we're going to look at effectiveness over time. We'll look at dose effect. How many adventure therapy sessions should we expect before we can appropriately predict that a client has experienced clinically significant change? And if not, are there clues of what we can do differently to make changes to that? What about the variance across different practitioners? Are some, in fact, more impact, more effective than others? The research would tell us that maybe they are. And What can we do to really get more effective over time? So these are all sort of questions we really haven't asked or looked at before. Now, most people that know when the way I think about therapy, I'm quite rigid in my stance about that, I guess. But then at the same time, we're going to look at this. And and like Daniel said, this is what isn't he rigid in? (laughs) (laughs) And yeah. And so we're going to look at this stuff. Um, And so really, I I just want to really stress that there's no no imposter syndrome here. If if you want to take part and and join a community of what we hope to become evidence-based adventure therapy providers, please do. And you can leave at any time. You can join and remain anonymous or you can brag about it to people. Whatever you want. What what we really want here is 
an inclusive community of people building evidence about how impactful they are. Wait, so you're saying it, it doesn't matter what level of education that anyone that's doing adventure therapy practice can be involved in this. Yep. But what about like practice settings? Is this something that people who are doing like wilderness or front country or private practice or residential, any of the above can be involved in? Tell, what kind of settings does this work for? No, it works for all of them. And I've created a bit of a checklist. If, you, if you're interested in that, definitely flick me an email for you to consider. And so even if you're doing short expeditions, I've worked with Scott Miller, who created the measures with the Center of Clinical Excellence to look at different settings. Like, how do you use this if you're on a doing a full day session? How do you use this if you're just doing 60 minutes in a climbing gym? What about working with groups? And so we want every and all of the above for sure. I've worked with Scott Miller to come up with how to do this in different settings. And so we'll talk about all of that. But really, one of the things that can happen in in research, and I've participated in a lot of different studies. I, I view it as a... Uh, me giving back to all the people who had to sit through boring interviews that I did with them for my research. But um, one of the things is the the researchers can often feel distant, that they're you're just doing everything and handing it to someone that you don't know. I really don't want to do that. I want to make sure that if you have any questions, you want more information, you want to sit down and have a phone call about this. You think I don't understand something about the measures. I had a I had a funny experience introducing the measures, just click an email and we'll schedule a time to chat. Um, so it's really about building community together for some folks that want to do something that really can improve our clients' experiences. One of the caveats there is to do this right can be brutal. It's about having an openness and a transparency that gives your client more voice. This is what you and I, Daniel, wrote about in the last chapter of the Outdoor Therapies book. We're really trying to give the chance for our clients to tell us how they're experiencing this work using really simple measures. So if you just wanna use the measures to find out how effective you are so you can get more funding or do some program evaluation, that's not really the goal here. The goal here is to do something that really can make a difference to the people that we work with who might not be getting better. Yeah, it can, it can help to improve the client outcomes. Yeah. And it's also going to give us some more research knowledge about adventure therapy in other settings because we, we've been fortunate in this field that we have a robust literature building about certain styles of programs. OBH mm. has done a wonderful job of building a fantastic research literature yep. about wilderness-based programs. But there are a lot of folks that are out there that are doing community-based work or private practice work who aren't always connected, don't have an ability to know what their outcomes are or to share that data. And mm -hmm. so that's another important piece of this. And that's part of what took me back to do my PhD was wanting to do more research about community-based adventure therapy practice. That's what I was doing mm -hmm. with outcome monitoring at that point through the ACORNS measure in Portland, Oregon. And then we, we started talking and figuring out, wow, this is a way that we can do that. This is a way where we can support improved outcomes for practitioners and start to build just more knowledge to support the field, share more information mm -hmm. and to help communicate to others who are still going, what is that adventure therapy thing to communicate? Yeah, this works. And we can use the, the same stuff 
that is really popular across psychotherapy, outcome monitoring and feedback informed treatment have a robust following across psychotherapy practice across the world, but haven't been readily adapted to adventure therapy. So this is an opportunity to, to take this excellent tool and make what we do that much better. Absolutely. And when we look at the, the evidence base for adventure therapy, it's, it's very strong, but it's not that diverse. What for instance, I'm going, to, I'm going to name drop some people here. What Tanya does in India isn't, doesn't have literature yet. Uh, the, the Scandinavians and Norwegians are building literature. Stefan, ha- Stefan in the UK has evidence of his work and, and has written about it, but we don't have the empirical support of it yet. We talked about Nevin and, and human nature in Canada and their incredible book, Nature-Based Therapy, but let's build some evidence about what all these people are doing in different settings around the, around the world. We don't want to be rigid of, of who we think can participate because we don't want to miss out on building data of the most unique version of adventure therapy that no one's heard of yet. And so that's why I say, tell your imposter syndrome to buzz off because there's no data to say you're not educated enough to be a good therapist. There's no data to say you don't know enough about adventure therapy to do it well. We don't have that. And so what you're doing in the field, even if you're a student, even if you're uh, one year into working in Greenland, for instance, I don't know if we've had a listener from Greenland, (laughs) even if you're, the one, the one listener we have from Malta or the listener from Iran or the one from Reunion Island, come and take part. And these measures come in, I think, like 26 different languages. But if it's not in your language, you can do this verbally. You don't need the paper. And there's a lot of different ways we've thought about how can you do it experientially? What if you did it with a rope with 10 knots and you had the client put the carabiner on where they wanted to rate it? So there's tons of ways we can do this creatively. We as talked well. about doing laminated ones that you can take out into the field because we do that with our teaching tools that we take out for yep. making dry erase boards. You can easily laminate one and dry erase marker. You're good to go. So we've got a lot of suggestions to help support mm making this something that can be taken from that was designed for an office and making it work in the outdoors easily and accessible. When I really talk about don't not being cautious of, of getting in contact with us, whether it's social media, whether it's by our very professional .edu academic emails, just get in touch because the implementation research and all the information about feedback-informed treatment that exists behind a paywall that's hard for the average practitioner to get a hold of. That stuff is dense. It's it's dense stuff that's hard to go, oh, this is going to take a lot of work to get implemented. And I can say with confidence over the last 10 years, since implementing feedback-informed treatment, I've never looked back. And it's and it's been liberating to, to really embrace client voice and choice. And I want to add one thing about the, the social justice angle of this. And that is that we rightly so live in times where we focus on being anti-oppressive and really privileging cultural diversity and all of these things. And so sometimes, especially in my position as a, as a white dude from pretty privileged background, I know that there are times I can I might say something or 
or the way that I act in not only as the the privileges that I was born with, but also being in a position of power as a practitioner working with vulnerable people. Feedback informed treatment. One of the things, and I've told this to the folks that came up with it a billion times. It it doesn't talk enough about how this is a way we can simply really make sure that we are putting the client's experience of us as people and the care we provide first. And so we want to create a culture where they can let us know, hey, I don't want to do that, or that didn't work. That wasn't the right avenue for me. So that's another, um, that's one of the, one of the other affordances for bringing this into our work where in adventure therapy, it gets even more complicated than simply sitting on a couch. We also are safety specialists. We also might sleep near some near our clients. This becomes more complicated. And so really letting our clients know that, Hey, I'm going to use this measure because I want you to really let me know if this is working because if it's not, we'll do something different. I want to give you the chance to let me know how you're receiving our relationship or what we're, or if we're working on the right stuff. Yeah, I love that this is this is more about using the outcomes to help the people that participate become better than it is to do another thing that shows adventure therapy is the better form of therapy. Yeah. Because we every type of therapy has a ton of research like that that tries to show that. And as we've talked about a lot, that they all pretty commonly show that they're all about the same. Yeah. But this is about making your therapy not the same, helping to make your therapy better by practicing the skills to become a better therapist by looking at your outcomes and learning what your blind spots are, what you're bad at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I this was the end when I spoke at TAPG. What I said at the end was, I don't really care it's not, it's not my passion to make adventure therapy recognized on the National Registry of Evidence-Based Practices. That's, that's for other people to do, and it's important for insurance purposes. That's, that's not my mission in life. What I called for was I really care about a field of adventure therapy, which is doing something that many people view as alternative. Many people view as, what about confidentiality? And the conservative world of mental health treatment, they don't really understand it. And what I really want is when someone asks any of us, does adventure therapy work? That every single adventure therapy provider can say, yeah, what I do works. Here's my data. Here's my evidence. You know, and yeah, I'm not the perfect therapist. I've had clients drop out and not come back. I've had clients that wanted to go home from an expedition so badly, I, I said, sure. It happens to all of us, but we this is the brutal nature of it. It's it's all about going, the client's view of this is more important than my clinical expertise, if that makes sense. Because the client has the right not to come back. And they don't come back not because they prefer to be sick. They don't come back because they don't think what we're offering them can help. And so if you can collect that data before they don't come back, then you have the chance to, to, to write the ship, if that makes sense. The moral of the story is join our study. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> it is going to be gonna awesome. help you learn how to improve your outcomes, not by teaching you to be better therapists, but by helping you be more aware of your blind spots and more of the aware of the things that you can do to improve because 
what makes me a good therapist or what makes Will a good therapist is not the same thing that's going to mm. make Joe Schmo down the road a good therapist. And so, sure, there's common factors, but we all have different blind spots, all have different things that we can work on. And that hopefully this study will allow us to see those in adventure therapy practitioners and make our field the outcomes in our field better. Absolutely. And definitely come and uh, join us for sure. Um, I do think let's um, get together and build a community of evidence-based adventure therapy practitioners of all walks of life, of all different types of people. Mm -hmm.